you take your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 18, 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 11, we'll go on from there, I'll just, well actually verse, we'll, we'll do verse 4, uh, the text verse is verse 19, about 15 years ago, you know, as a preacher is a dilemma that you run into as you're trying to preach the whole counsel of God. There are certain things that need to be repeated on a regular basis. Uh, personally, I believe that there should be no gospel preacher that doesn't talk about hell at least once a year, if he's a pastor of the church. You ought to talk about it probably three or four times a year. Um, there's just certain paramount subjects, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You ought to talk about that. Of course, we do talk about salvation on a regular basis. Uh, we don't talk about, we don't preach as, a, as the main subject salvation every week. We don't do that. We're here to edify the saints this morning and to challenge those without Christ. If you're visiting with us, I want to give you the four-week challenge. Come to gospel. Determine to come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for four weeks. Uh, one of those services or all of them, whatever. And at the end of those four weeks, be praying. In the, in the meantime, is this God's place where you want me to serve? It's possible you could come one week and, and be turned off by something. You know, who knows? People are, this PC culture we live in, you know, you can, people can get turned off if somebody looks at them wrong or somebody shakes their hand wrong or somebody has a, a, a jacket color they don't like. <laughs> it, it, you know, I mean, who knows, man? It could be, you know, it could be a hundred different things, but that's why you got to give it four Sundays. How many in here are the are five Sunday gospel attendee? You've come five Sundays at Gospel Baptist Church. Raise your hand. Everybody's come five Sundays. Yeah. Somebody came up to me and said, I'm a fiver. I said, What's that mean? I said, he said, That means I came five Sundays and stuck. That's why I did that this morning. All right, I'm gonna to talk to you about a guy by the name of Hezekiah. <clears throat> I can't get anybody to name their baby. Bill, William, Bill, even though there's five of us at Gospel Baptist Church, it would be thrilled if you named your child, your new coming child, William. We'd be thrilled. Not a middle name, not a middle name, first name, middle initial J. But anyways, if I'm going for it, I might as well just go for it. But uh, I'm pretty sure you're not going to name your kid Hezekiah. Uh, but uh, Hezekiah, if you don't know who he is, let me introduce you to Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the 12th king of Judah after King Solomon. Most people know a little bit about the Old Testament, know that they, you had, they may not know Saul, which is the first king of Israel. They know David, man, David, predominant figure, second king of Israel. And his son Solomon was the third king of Israel, and he was uh, the one that God chose to build the uh, ornate temple. Uh, adding up the cost of that temple would be, in our money, over five B billion dollars, a five billion dollar building uh, in our money. And uh, they saved it. David saved a lot of the money up ahead of time. Solomon did the rest. 
and they built this ornate building. You know what the trouble with us is? We begin to worship the frame rather than the God of the frame. We begin to worship a building rather than the God of the building. we're, We're bad that way. And so God has a way of tearing them down. And that beautiful ornate building, it took so long, so much money to build, he had uh, Babylon come in and, and absolutely destroy it. I'm talking about take all the gold. They melted the gold off the rock and took the gold. They tore that thing down, down to the very foundation of it because they, had, uh, they, they, had not, they built a beautiful temple to God but then didn't worship him. What is worship? It's service. It's obedience. It's compliance. It's recognition of who God is. And obviously, if you love God, you want to please God, right? Just coming to church in some ornate building and talking about his name a few minutes and singing about his name a few minutes and going home, that ain't going to cut it. It doesn't cut it in marriage. And I think your relationship with God's a deeper relationship than marriage. So we see Hezekiah here. He was, by the way, the son of Ahaz. Ahaz. Up to that time was the worst, most evil king in the history of Judah. And yet out of this horrible man came this fabulous guy, Hezekiah, which turned out to be for God. Over and over, the Bible tells you that we're not products of our environment. Get it real good. You're not a product of your environment. You are not a product of your environment. Your environment has influence. It pushes you here, there, and yon. But by the grace of God, through the mercy of God, you can overcome your environment. With case after case after case, hundreds, yea, thousands of cases uh, have been proven to make that true. Of course, here's one, Hezekiah, Ahaz, had set up all kinds of idols and had, had let the temple go in disrepair, had stopped the worship of Jehovah, and, and here Hezekiah comes along. Uh, Hezekiah witnessed the fall of the ten northern tribes to Assyria. He knew why they fell. Look in verse 11. The king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Goshen, Gozen, excuse me, in the cities of the Medes. Because they, here's what it is, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God. Every person that has sought to seek God's face gets in trouble when they quit paying attention to what God says. And they quit obeying it. They begin to uh, ignore it. They begin to move away from it and don't want to hear it anymore. That's what they did. But they transgressed his covenant, all the Moses, the servant of God, commanded, and would not hear them nor do them. Hezekiah sought the Lord, which was radically different from those of his father. In verse 4, let's go back a little ways. Uh, he removed the high places. He broke the images. He cut down the groves. He broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For under those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and it was called Nahushten. Nobody's going to name their kid that either. Nahushten. This goes as another, just another glaring example uh, you know the serpent in the wilderness. The people were dying because they complained about God. And God said to Moses, make a, make a um, uh, pole, put a uh, serpent, which by the way, I think the medical profession picked up on that, and, and put a serpent on this pole. And whoever looks 
God had sent snakes, fiery serpents in their midst to judge them because they were complaining. And he says, whoever looks on that pole shall live. Jesus uses that as looking unto him and living. And they were worshiping that pole. See what I mean? How we're prone to worship the structure and not the God of the structure. There it is. And he trusted, uh, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel, verse 5, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave unto the Lord, and depart not from it following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the, look, what, look at the result. And the Lord was with him. Folks, this morning, if I may pause, would you like the Lord with you? Would you like the Lord hovering over your decision-making? Oh, I would. I have had it. And he proposed, with a server he went forth, uh, he, uh, and rebelled against the uh, king of Assyria and served him not. Assyria had come down, a uh, great nation, had taken the northern ten tribes in his lifetime. He saw it happen. But God blessed Hezekiah, the little two tribes of, around the city of Jerusalem there, Benjamin and Judah, and had blessed him because of his faithfulness to them. And then God allowed the king of Assyria to send to uh, Hezekiah, even though he was serving him, he had him send a messenger called Rabshakeh. Rabshakeh. Uh, nobody's probably going to name their kid that either. Uh, and this guy, Rabshakeh, he was an egomaniac. He was a, he was a very good talker. And he was sent to harass uh, the children of Israel, the children of Judah, excuse me, in Jerusalem, and demoralize them. It was a form of psychological warfare before the Assyrians thought they were going to come down and take them over like they had the northern tribes. Of course, God interceded on that, and that's not what we're talking about. What we're, what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning is verse 19. And Rabshakeh said unto them, Speak ye now to Hezekiah, thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Let me, let me focus on that statement a little bit and teach a little bit this morning some apologetics, a quick overview of the defense of Scripture. What do you trust in this morning? Where'd you hear about Jesus Christ? Where'd you hear about his suffering? Where'd, where'd you hear that Jesus died for you? Where'd you hear that the grace of God had been bestowed upon you? Where'd you hear that you had ability to have your sins completely forgiven? Where'd you hear about heaven? Where'd you hear about the coming of the new Jerusalem? Or anything really involved what we're going to talk about in church? You heard it out of the Word of God, didn't you? This Bible that you maybe casually hold as a young person, maybe haven't studied its background much, you just inherited it like I did, my mother gave me an old Schofield Bible when I got right with God, and she said, this is your book. You read it. I still got the book. I read it till the pages were so frail I had to quit reading it. It began to fall apart. Went to another one, did the same thing to that one. Went to another one, did the same thing to that one. This is about my fifth or sixth Bible. This is actually my show Bible. I don't read out of this one. I decided I'll bring this to church. This one gets carried back and forth but doesn't get read a whole lot. The one I read at home. But where's all my information come from? The Word of God. What confidence is this wherein thou trustest? I've been reading a book that was just given to me by the Feroses. It's called 
Seeking Allah, finding Jesus. Seeking Allah, finding Jesus. And this, this young man and his, he was a very smart guy. I'll tell you right away, this boy was exceptional in his intelligence. And he was a devout, devout uh, Muslim uh, from his family up. And he, he, uh, he just, it just gives his journey uh, on Christianity. The other, not long ago, I had a Muslim in my office. A gentle-spoken young man, a very smart young man, a programmer for Microsoft. Uh, you could tell right away he had a good mind on him. And, and we began to talk about Christianity, and he immediately, immediately he attacked the Bible. It's reliability. It's trustworthiness. Uh, and, and so-called, what he perceived to be, inconsistencies or errors in it. Why? If you can somehow prove that this book is not reliable, everything that sets on it's gone. If you can somehow show that this book is not what it says it is, it's from God, breathed by holy men of God as he came upon them and gave them this book. If somehow you can prove that through the years of transmission, from generation to generation to generation, that this book has been defiled, that this book has been added to or taken away from, to where you can shake me, to where I don't know what part is really from God and what part's not from God, then you've destroyed all that I built on top of this book. Does that make sense to you? Those to me too. And by the way, it did do the guy that wrote the book, Nabil, we'll refer to him as Nabil. Nabil was taught from a little child. The Bible wasn't reliable. The Gospels were corrupted. Uh, Paul, forget Paul. He was just taught Paul was, was a bad guy, and anything he wrote couldn't be good. And they, they, and they gave him these, these, these lines. He memorized them like a parrot memorizes lines from his owner. He memorized these lines. This guy in my office, the same thing Nabil did in his book, the same thing this guy. They're taught a pattern of how to rebuke us. What, is ama what amazed Nabil was how few Christians had any weapons. Nabil was taught from a small child how to defend uh, the Koran, how to defend his faith, how to do this, and how to attack the Bible. And yet, he says, well, I would come to Christians. They would, when they got an editor, he said, they just were like quiet. They could quote the Bible. They could talk about their salvation. They could talk about Jesus, but they couldn't defend, is this book reliable? And that's what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. Is this book reliable? What confidence is it therein that you trust it? What is it that you trust in? Rabshakeh's question has echoed down through the ages since he uttered it in 713 B.C. People have been asking true believers in Christ that question over and over again. What confidence is this wherein? Thou trusteth. Let's have a word. Our Father, we pray in the name above every name that the words spoken from this pulpit in the next few minutes may honor and represent the truth, real, honest truth. May that truth come forth and cut through what people have been falsely taught or assumed or maybe ignorant of. Father, help us to understand what our, where our confidence is in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we as Christians, you may not know this, are told to be 
able to defend ourselves to, the, to those outside of Christianity. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It is not unreasonable for somebody to come by and ask me, where does Bible come from? How could something be transmitted generation to generation be accurate? That's not unreasonable. Those are not unreasonable questions. Those are honest questions. Let me say this. It's the questions I had when I first believed. Do, when I'm reading this, is it really part of it, the Word of God? All of it, the Word of God? Uh, Neo-Orthodoxy says the, word of, the Bible contains the Word of God, putting doubt on some of that, which is a heresy, of course. Because the Bible says differently about itself. So it says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach and, teach and patient, in meekness, here it is, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God preventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. So we're supposed to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have in the Word of God, and what the Word of God says. We're also to have it to the place where we can instruct those who come and oppose us. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning. How many here this morning are ready to give an answer to those that oppose you? That's big. That's one of the reasons why a lot of folks don't witness. They're afraid people are going to ask them a question they don't have the answer for. God forbid we hold back for that reason. Let me tell you, I, I think, do I know everything? No. When somebody asks me a question I don't know, I said, you know, I don't know that right now, but I can find the answer. The millennials, they just ask Siri. Right? Right, Brother Marty? They don't have to do research. They just get on the phone and say, Siri will tell me whatever I need to know. But you don't be a doctor, you don't have to go to medical school anymore. You just got to have Siri. Siri, what's spinal meningitis? Siri, how do I treat spinal meningitis? Siri, what drugs, what drugs do I use for spinal meningitis? You don't even have to go to school anymore, brother. Say, in Jude, no, it's not the song. In Jude, this is for, this is for Huber, in Chapter 1, verse 3, because there's only one chapter. But in verse 3, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you, and here it is, that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. So, in these, in these three verses, we see that the Christian is supposed to be able to give a reason of the hope that is with us. Why do you believe that you're going to heaven? Why do you believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Why do you believe he was de he's deity? He's not just a good prophet. He's not just a good man. He's not Jeremiah. He's not Elijah. He is actually God manifest in the flesh. Where do you get that? How, how, can, you def how can you say that? There's nothing wrong with people asking those questions. And then after, after they ask those questions, you're to take what you have learned and instruct those folks in the truth and in some of the things I'm going to say today that will help them understand what we have is different from what everybody else has. Christianity is not just another religion. 
In fact, it's not a religion. Religion means to bind. Christianity is, will set you free. It's opposite of what. Those folks are out there in, in 95 plus percent of the religions of the world. They're out there today laboring under the horror that they try to work themselves into a place of pleasing God that someday they stand before him. Maybe they'll weigh the, he'll weigh the good and the bad and maybe you're good. Or, oh, but they never know whether they're really saved or not. They never have the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit like we do. None of them have a leader that was resurrected that was witnessed by over 500 people. What confidence is this we're in? Thou trustest. First of all, I trust the Bible because there is no other book like it in the world. I'm going to spend a few minutes here on the uniqueness of the Bible. I'm going to read some quotes to you to make sure I get them right and for the sake of exactness. Webster defines, Webster Dictionary defines the word unique. One and only. Single. Soul, different from all others, having no like or equal. When I tell you that the Bible is unique among all other religious literature or non-religious literature, it is an absolutely unique book. I mean, it stands apart from everything else. Professor M. Matteo Williams, former Bowdoin professor of Sanskrit, now, who majors in Sanskrit? Spent 42 years studying Eastern books and said in comparing them with the Bible, here's what he said, and I quote, pile them, if you will, on the left side of your study table, that's all the Eastern, but place your own Holy Bible on the right side, all by itself, and with the wide gap between them, for there is a gulf between it and the so-called sacred books of the East, which severs the one from the other utterly, hopelessly, and forever. A veritable gulf which cannot be bridged over by any science of religious thought. In other words, what he said after all those years of studying Eastern books and the language of their writing, he said there's nothing out there like the Bible. It's just unique. It's unique in its continuity. Let me give you some facts. How is the Bible unique, Pastor Bill? Thank you for asking that. It is written over 1,600 years span. In other words, the Old Testament from the writing of Moses all the way to the last writing in 100 uh, AD, which was on uh, uh, my Isle of Patmos, they believe by Brother John, written about 100 A.D., is about 1,600 years in span. It was written uh, over, it spanned over 60 generations, over 40-plus authors uh, from every walk of life wrote the Bible. There were kings, wrote the Bible, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. The Bible was written in many different settings. It was written in the wilderness with, by Moses, in the dungeon by Jeremiah, in the palace by Daniel of, of a foreign country, and a prison by Paul, and the Isle of Patmos by John, just to, just to say a few. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. Written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, 
and Greek, Koine Greek, that is, not classical, written on hundreds of controversial subjects. Man, the Bible deals with about everything in life that you're going to run into. It's been said years ago, the Bible has the answer. It has the answer. Whatever you need, the Bible really has the answer. I mean, it won't tell you what iPhone to buy. But when it comes down to the deep questions of life, death, why are you here? What's your purpose? Is, God, is there a God? Does he exist? Does he love you? The Bible's got the answer for you. You need to find it there. That's where you need to find it. That's why I'm talking about of our confidence in the Word of God. F.F. F. Bruce, pastor writer, said this, Any part of the human body can only be explained in reference to the whole body. Any part of the Bible can only be properly explained by reference to the whole Bible. In other words, the Bible has a unique continuity. We have a medical doctor here, and he knows something of the human body. The human body is an absolute walking marvel. I mean, you, the more you study the human body, the more you go, oh, man, you got the endocrine system, the system of glands that you have. I think we have eight glands. If I'm wrong, forgive me. Around eight glands. I've lost one of them. I've lost my thyroid. Well, there's a few glands that you can't lose. Pituitary gland, I think you can't lose that. Pancreas, I think you got to have that. But I'm telling you, the thyroid runs them all. The thyroid runs, senses how much, uh, how much uh, hormone I got in my blood and says, that's a little bit too low, send some more. And it sends a hormone out to stimulate that gland that makes that hormone, and then it increases that hormone. Then pretty soon I get wound up after preaching. At the end of preaching, it says, ooh, he's got a little bit too much of that hormone. And so it sends another message to another gland saying, you need to lower that hormone. That boy's head's going to blow off. Look, I don't know much, but I can get in trouble on this area. But I know enough about the human body to tell you that we are fearfully and we are wonderfully made. There is nothing you handle, nothing you touch that is as complicated as the human body. The Word of God is like the human body. All fits together. All works in, in unity together. While there are so many illustrations you can use, out of the human body, how it works together, and how you're here because today you're listening to me, you're looking at me because it's working together. And let me tell you, the Word of God has continuity. There is no possibility over 60 generations, over 1,600 years, over 40-plus writers that this book would be anything but mumbo-jumbo unless God did something. Miraculous. Miraculous. I hold a miracle in my hand. People say, show me a miracle. The old King James Bible is a miracle right there. The Bible in any language, that's the unity, it's just a miracle. It's a miracle. I remember, I've said this illustration so many times in, in elementary school. Our teacher, we had about 40. By the way, teachers in elementary school, when I went to school, had 40 students. 40 girls. Oh, I got 20 students. I don't know what I'm going to do. You need 20 more. Those old teachers had 40 of us. Of course, we got spanked by the principal and then went home and got it by our parents. So guess what? Those 40 students probably were more be well-behaved than the 20 we got. 
One glance talking to another right now. <laughs> the teacher would go to one of the, the, the kid up at the front. Well, I never got to sit up. Well, actually, well, never mind. He'd <laughs> sit up in the front and he'd say, she'd say something in his ear, whisper a, a, a sentence. Then he'd go to the next student, whisper a sentence, and they'd go to the next student. That got back to the 40. How many did that? God bless you. That's a good thing. Buddy, the, the last guy would get up and then verbally say what he heard. It was impossible. Wasn't even anywhere close, brother. I don't know whether you did better than we did, but we did terrible. I mean, it wasn't even the same. Nothing. That's the way this book would be if it wasn't for God. You can't spread something out over that long a period of time with that many writers from different backgrounds and different, let's say this, different languages, different culture backgrounds, and have it not contradict itself so obviously that the least skeptic could come to it and destroy it. Josh McDowell, a well-known skeptic, uh, sought out in his early life to disprove this Bible once and for all. This could not be possibly, it couldn't, he thought it, couldn't, it could be easy to prove what ended up, he gets saved. And he writes a book, Evidence of Demands of Verdict, one of his first books. He's got one now called More Evidence of Demands of Verdict. He's got one called The Resurrection Question. He's got one called More Evidence of Demands of Verdict. All these other different books, uh, excuse me, More Than a Carpenter. He's gone from college campus to college campus to college campus, secular college campuses, and debated and argued. And there's other people now have been have been raised up by God to replace him because he's old like I am. The Bible is unique in its circulation. From 1815 to 1975, there's been five billion. Billion copies of the Bible. That's an estimate. They believe it's bigger than that. That's conservative. When, when did Gutenberg, 14 something, Gutenberg printed? What was the first book Gutenberg put on a press? The Bible, folks. Why? Because Gutenberg had discovered something really paradigm changing printing, movable type. And he wanted something that would be notable to be remembered by. And so he printed the Gutenberg Bible. The last 50 years, it's estimated, just the last 50 years, 3.9 billion Bibles have been printed. Do you know the Bible holds the Guinness Book of World Records as the most printed book in the world? They say, Guinness says over 5 billion copies have been printed of the Bible. More people have read the Bible than any other book. More copies and more languages than any other book. It was the first book ever printed. It was printed in the Latin Vulgate. It was printed on Gutenberg. Let me tell you this. It's been put in so many 1,260 plus languages this book has been put in. Why would anybody go to the effort of doing that? Because they saw something in this book that they didn't see in any other book. They saw that this was like the human body, a miracle. It defied the laws that we, all of us are under. It defied them. And do you think this book has some enemies? 
Well, Doc knows this. Put something in writing and your enemies will raise their ugly head. Oh, they'll get on the internet and take your book and start taking, taking pieces of it and, and trying, to, trying to twist what it says, taking it out of context, try to make you look bad. Can you believe that I have made, even on putting my sermons on the internet, I have made a website called badpreachers.com? Go to it. Badpreachers.com. It's probably my claim to fame. One of my sermons, 40,000 people went and looked at. I thought, well, praise God, if it put me up as a bad preacher, gets people to listen to my sermons, I'm for it. The Bible is unique in its circulation. The Bible is unique in its translation. It has been translated, retranslated, paraphrased more than any other book in existence. It has appeared, as I said, over 1,260 languages. The Bible is unique in its survival. It has more manuscript evidence than any 10 pieces of classical literature combined. Uh, there are over 13. 15 plus thousand ancient manuscripts in Latin and Greek and other languages of the Bible. John Montgomery in his book, History of Christianity, says to be skeptical of the resultant texts of the New Testament books is to allow all of the classical antiquities to slip into obscurity. For no documents of ancient period are as well attested by the bibliography as is the New Testament. It has survived wave after wave of persecution, both to destroy it, to dilute it, to pollute it, to just ignore it, as, and all of those that oppose it have fallen in ashes to the ground, and the Bible still is the most read book in America. As heathen as we are, the Bible outsold, outprinted Harry Potter. Uh, Harry Potter did 400 million. Just to kind of give you an idea how much money they made on that. The Bible swept past that like it was nothing. We're talking this year. I got I to gotta, I gotta tame myself back. The Romans couldn't outlaw it. The Catholics couldn't restrict it. When my wife was a Catholic, they said, you're too dumb to read the Bible. We read it in Latin, and she didn't know Latin. There was one little problem. She didn't know Latin. So she went to church week after week after week. I mean, she could say the rosary in, in French, whatever. I, I don't know if French gets to heaven better or what, but. The Jew, the JWs, much as they've tried, couldn't, haven't been able to confuse it out of existence. The communists, for 71 years, tried to deny it and said there is no God. You see where they're at. The Mormons couldn't addendum it. Jo, uh, the Muslims have not been able to suppress it. It is absolutely unique in its survival. It has survived the worst array of criticism possible against any other document. Think of it. Think of it. Listen to me. Please, and 
Turn your reason on now. If the Bible, as much as it has been hated, were not consistent, accurate, true to history, true to science, true to facts, if the Bible had real contradictions, wouldn't in the first 200 years the critics have destroyed it? First 200 years, and I'm giving, I'm, I'm being gracious by saying 200. It would have been the first 100 years. They would have shredded it. They would have proved it wrong. They would have brought forth the evidence like Josh McDowell was trying to do. By the way, like this guy Nabil was trying to do. Nabil wanted to prove that the Bible was not reliable so bad. Why? Because he knew if Jesus was this, who he said he was, and he'd have to desert his whole family. His whole family would disown him, and, and he would betray his mother, and betray his father, betray his heritage, which he had to do and did. Because he said the Bible's true. And Jesus is God, manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, received up into glory. And the Bible is accurate. It is miraculous. Over 3,500 years to today, critics have come and gone, and the Bible's still flourishing, still the bestseller, still the most printed, it's being distributed, preached, taught, plastered on billboards. If you go through North Carolina area, South Carolina, it's all over the sides of the mountains. It's on the tops of barns. You name it, it is everywhere. You can buy a suit coat and look in your pocket and find some of the, some of the Bible. Think how much poetry has been written about the Bible. I have to hurry. Cleland McAfee says in the greatest English classic, he says, if ever the Bible in any considerable city were destroyed, the book could be restored in all of its essential parts from the quotations of it on the shelves of that city's public library. The Bible's been quoted, and so, many, so much of it has been quoted by so many secular... Uh, that you could take what they quoted and put if they destroy the original somehow destroy the original copy of it, which we know the originals were, but if we destroyed every copy completely, you could go on our forefathers and look what they said and put those passages together and construct most of all the Bible. I'll read you one more quote. Philip Schaff, in his book, he's a historian, by the way, an author. He says this. This Jesus of Nazareth, without money and arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Mohammed, and Napoleon without science and learning. He shed more light on things a human and divine than all the philosophers and scholars combined. Without the eloquence of schools, he spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since, produced effects which lie beyond the reach of order or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion, furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, learned volumes, works of art, songs of praise, than the whole army of great men of the ancient put together to modern time. This does not, by the way, prove the Bible is true. But it does demand your honest and humble inspection. 
Now let me do a little application and quit. Very few skeptics that I have met that say they do not believe the Bible or somehow it's not reliable, very few have ever given the Bible an honest, humble look with an attitude of reverence for the greatest book ever written. They have, very few of them have carefully, slowly, seriously read the Bible from cover to cover. I can't tell you how many people claim to be Christian for many years. I've said, have you ever read the Bible from cover to cover? And they'll say no. Hang their head and say no. I've had deacons, been deacons for a fundamental, fundamental Bible-living church, deacons for years. I say, confess to me that they had went years and years as a deacon, never had read the Bible from cover to cover. Now look, if this book, if this book is miraculous, and it is, if it is so unique as it is that nothing compares with it, doesn't it demand your reading or listening through Alexander Scorby or read Braille with your tongue? Doesn't it demand your honest with as much as humanly possible, taking your bias that you've heard and been taught by a skeptic, a world, and putting them aside and giving it an honest read? How can you allow yourself to come and go in this life and miss the greatest literary treasure ever produced by man? It's the Bible. How can you intellectually live with yourself having neglected the most unique book in the world? I think you should determine right now. I'm going to read this book through at least once a year. And I'm going to look for God. I'm going to approach it with as much little bias, preconceived notions, and objectivity as I can. With a prayer, and I think this is a great prayer to approach your Bible with. If there is a God, and this is your book, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. Find, if you read the book, uh, Seeking Alan, Finding Jesus, finally the boy came to the place where he would read this book objectively and threw away the biases he had been taught by the imams and all these other people. Said this book was full of errors, and when he did his homework, it wasn't. And when he began to read it, he began to read in Matthew. That's a good book to start. He had Matthew chapter 5, verse chapter 6, verse chapter 7. He said nothing like the Koran. He said the Koran gave me no comfort. And right off the bat, Jesus in chapter 5 said, Blessed be they that mourn. Blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed be they that seek after righteousness. And I began to see the comfort that was in this book that I had never found in the Koran. And he had faithfully sought the Koran. Now you say, Brother Bill, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. I believe this book warrants, by every way you can examine it, your attention. 
your attention. And I believe you're committing one of the most heinous mistakes of your life if you ignore this book. For any excuse, for any excuse, I can't read well. Listen to it. I can't hear. They got it in Braille. I have attention problems. Read a little at a time. You know, I'm finding my reading. As I get older, I'm having trouble reading. I can't sit down and read for an hour anymore. You know what happens to me if I read for an hour? I'm going to show you, Doc. I read. I, I don't have sleeping problems because all I got to do is read for about 30 minutes going. I'm a, I don't know what it is, man. My switch turns off. So what did I start doing? I started reading a little 15-minute shots. I figured, I'll get this thing. So I can read six, 700-page books by reading 15-minute shots. Let me say this. 99.99% of our excuses are just that. Read the book. You say, well, I don't like this. I don't like that. I've seen hypocrites. Don't you let a hypocrite send you to hell. Don't you let a hypocrite make you lose what's in this book. Don't you let anybody, no matter what they say, no matter how they live, cost you to lose what's in this book. Seek the words of life. This is the written word. Jesus in this book has said he's the living word. When Jesus was questioned by the devil... He didn't come up with unique sentences. He came up with what had already been written down in the Old Testament. The very Son of God used the written Word of God. It's that big. It's that big. You do it. Father, help us this morning. I've spoken to Christians mainly. I believe there's been a challenge put forth. Rabshakeh's question. Where is your confidence that you trust Father, I pray that some folks in this room would decide to seek the Word of God. Honestly, faithfully, objectively as they know how. And let and in the, before the whole thing starts, say, God, if you're in it, if it's from you, show me. I think that's a fair and honest prayer. Father, I know you will show them. Because I know your Word does not return void. I pray that, Father, that you'd anoint someone in the sound of, of my voice, whether it be over the Internet, or here, that they would make a decision today to read the Bible. And I'm, I don't do this much here, but I'm going to do it this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. You say, Brother Bill, by the grace of God this morning, I've decided to read the Bible through in a year. It's doable. It's doable. It's an hour and a half a week. 20 minutes a day. Say, so Brother Bill, by the grace of God, I'm going to do it. Would you pray for me that God would give me the strength? Would you raise your hand and let me see you? God bless you. Hands all over. Hands all over. God bless every one of your souls. Don't you go on. You say, I wonder why I'm having trouble with Christianity. I wonder why it's not giving me the joy. I wonder why I'm not getting the victory. The source of it is, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. That's the source of it right there. You got to have the written word of God. You got to have this, the uh, breathed word of God through the blessed Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Father, help them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. 
If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.